We are about halfway through our Easter series called Grow. If you were here on Easter Sunday, you got a packet of seeds. Have any of you planted them? Oh, yeah. Okay. Have any of them shown flowers? Okay, good. So I'm on par. I've shared before. I, you, no one has ever described me as having a green thumb, but I'm trying. Mine have sprouted, and it's green, and it's very exciting, but no flowers yet. But we're in this season of spring, and you know we have these beautiful flowers up here. Yesterday there were flowers on the aisles and on the doors for the wedding. It just makes me think about these seeds and this growth that we are hoping to experience as individuals and as a church. You know, over the past several weeks, we have had some really obvious, tangible growth. We have celebrated the Joseph Project reopening and our new leadership And it's hard to believe, but this week will be the first time we've been opened in almost two years, and I know so many of you are excited to come and volunteer in handing out that food. We've confirmed eight students, we've had three baptisms, we've had 12 people join the church, we've prayed for our 13 high school seniors who will soon go off to college, we've had several first-time people sign up to volunteer for VBS or Service Squad, And we've had two wonderful sessions discussing our United Methodist core beliefs. Helping us along in this Grow series has been the book of Acts. You know, the book that we look to as the first century church. How did they respond in the days following the resurrection? How do you live as resurrection people, the first century church? Sterling preached last week from Acts 2, and we read about how this first century church, it says they shared all things in common. They broke bread together. They were devoted to learning from the scripture and the apostles' teaching. They shared all things in common and took care of one another because they were deeply invested in doing life together. Our Bible study last week was about the three simple rules in the United Methodist Church, And Sterling mentioned that while they are simple, they're not always easy to do, to do no harm, to do good, and to stay in love with God. Well, that theme of sounding simple but not as easy to actually do will continue today. So our scripture today is from Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. Now during those days when the disciples were increasing in numbers, The Hellenist complains against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution of the food. The twelve called together the whole community of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should neglect the word of God in order to wait on tables. Therefore, friends, select from among yourselves seven men of good standing, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we may appoint to this task, while we, for our part, We'll devote ourselves to prayer and to serving the word. What they said pleased the whole community, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, together with Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. They had these men stand before the apostles, who prayed and laid their hands on them. The word of God continued to spread, and the number of the disciples increased greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. May God bless the reading of the word. Thanks be to God. Well, in our passage today, we've moved a little bit beyond the very first days after the resurrection. They're still sharing things in common. They're still taking care of each other. 
but they have attracted a lot of new people. It says they've increased in numbers, so much so that the disciples alone are confronted with a problem. They are no longer able to do everything that is necessary. They were sharing food with each other. They were sharing clothes with each other. And here they're realizing that they have some gaps. They're not able to take care of everyone as they would like. And so the disciples, you know, call together this group of apostles and they say, choose from among you seven people who are full of the spirit and wisdom, who have hearts of service that can step up and fulfill this need so that we are not neglecting anyone here in our community. If you were to look at this passage in your Bible, it would say something like the choosing of the seven or the choosing of the seven deacons. And while the word deacon doesn't appear in the passage, the word service that they are chosen for comes from the word diacona, meaning service or servant. You may be familiar with the term deacon because it is an order to which a person can become ordained in the United Methodist Church. Some of you remember Amanda Messer. She served the church for several years, and she is a ordained deacon. The difference between being an ordained elder, which is what Sterling and I are, versus an ordained deacon, you're both called to order and service. I'm sorry, word and service. But deacons are uniquely called to bridge the gap between the church and the world. And so some deacons serve in churches, like Amanda did for a while, She served with the youth group, but now she's serving at a different place in Georgia that's outside of the church, but she's using her passion for God, her knowledge that she gained in seminary, all of her ordination to connect people back to God outside of the church. So the ministry of deacons grew out of John Wesley's passion for social holiness. Following Jesus's words in the Sermon on the Mount, Wesley urged Methodist people to remember that although faith is deeply personal, it is lived out in the communities in which we live. Wesley believed that faith practices should impact our relationships and the ways we interact with other people. And this was not just a private thing that he thought and wrote about in his journal, but it's something he was convicted about and very vocal about. And here is something that he publicly shared in 1739. He said, solitary religion is not found here. Holy solitaries is a phrase no more consistent with the gospel than holy adulterers. The gospel of Christ knows no religion but social, no holiness but social holiness. Faith working by love is the length and breadth and depth and height of Christian perfection. When Wesley says that our faith is to be social, He means that the depth of our love for God is shown in the way we love those whom God loves. The writer of 1 John also says the same thing in different words. He says, we love because he first loved us. Those who say, I love God, yet hate their brothers and sisters are liars. For those who have not loved a brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. The commandment we have from him is this, those who love God must love their brothers and sisters also. Simply put, the biblical writers, John Wesley, our tradition says that faith is not meant to stay in our heads or only in this room or even in this entire church. Our faith is supposed to spur us on 
to good deeds in the world. So in the development of the Methodist Church, from passages like this one in Acts 6, and from the understanding of the word diacona, servant leadership, Wesley established deacons in the ordination role. And again, they were established to be bridge builders between the church and the needs of the world. And this is a beautiful and simple way to talk about something that's really difficult. I mean, think about why bridges exist. They exist to connect one place to another place that was either impossible to get to before or really difficult to get to. So it's an efficient way to get from one place to another. The process of building a literal bridge is tedious and it's expensive and it's dangerous, but often, you know, we don't think about that when we drive on a bridge. Depending on the bridge, you may be frustrated about the toll cost. You may be a little afraid if it's a rickety bridge or if you can see really closely over the edge down to water below you. Or if you're like me, you're kind of just thinking about where you're going. You know, you're not thinking about what it must have been like before this bridge was created. In January of this year, Micah and I got to drive across and see one of the most iconic bridges of all times. This is the Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco. I woke up every Saturday morning growing up watching Full House, whatever happened to predictability, and the Golden Gate Bridge would come over the screen and the Tanner family would come out for a picnic in front of the painted ladies. I knew the Golden Gate Bridge. I'd seen pictures of it. I had seen video clips of it. There's a reason it's the most famous bridge in the world. But until this trip, I never considered why it's called the Golden Gate Bridge. After all, it's red. But while we were there, we learned that the gap, the bay between San Francisco proper and Sausalito, which is what the, the bridge goes to, is called the Golden Gate Strait. And in 1848, the population of San Francisco was around 500 people. But within a year, because of the gold rush, it had developed to 10 times greater than that. And shortly after 1900, the Bay Region's population reached over 1 million people. So there was a big boom in the San Francisco, California area, and there became a need for transportation from the city of San Francisco to go north and south there across the Bay. In the early decades of the 20th century, civil engineering had made leaps and bounds from before, and so now, as architects and engineers are looking at this problem, it is now a challenging possibility. So despite political opposition, scarce funds in the Great Depression, and the immense physical challenge of building a one-mile bridge over the bay, six counties in Northern California voted to finance the Golden Gate Bridge. Engineers and construction workers with imagination, and courage, and determination came together to build what had once been considered the bridge that will never be built. They started this construction in 1933, and five years later, in 1937, they finished, and still today, it is a beautiful landmark, and it is also highly practical, as it carries a whopping 112,000 cars per day over this bridge, and it does have a toll. I wonder if those engineers and architects and construction workers could have imagined 
how many people would use this bridge to connect from one place to another. I'm sure there were days and months and years where their blood, sweat, and tears made them wonder, is this even worth it? Is this going to pay off? But aren't we grateful for those people who worked so hard to make bridges like that one, like the one to Dauphin Island, like the Brooklyn Bridge in New York? Bridges are beautiful and highly practical ways for us to get from one place to another. But whether it's a physical bridge or a figurative one, it's a lot of hard work. It can take years of intentional labor to make noticeable progress. But this call to build bridges, this call to social holiness, is not only for people who are ordained deacons in the United Methodist Church or in the Baptist Church or in any other denomination. God has called all people, all Christians, to be in ministry making disciples for Jesus Christ. We are to take what we learn and hear out there to wherever we go, wherever our ministry takes us. These men in our passage today, they were not ordained people. They were seven people within the congregation who had fruit of their faith and were chosen to help fill this gap so that people were not neglected. And just like the disciples in our passage today, if we only depended on Sterling and I to do everything that was needed here at Ashland Place, we would unintentionally neglect so many people. Again, we can have the best intentions, but we cannot be all things to all people at all times. We depend on you, we depend on us to be the body of Christ together in our community. That's why it's so important that we have people to volunteer for VBS and to go on youth retreats, to hand out food at the Joseph Project, to check in on people through membership care, to respond to the local needs of our missions committee, and on and on. Because through these ministries that take place outside of Sunday mornings, others will see our love for God revealed in our love for community, a love that leads to growth and transformation. There was an artist named John August Swanson. He passed away last year. But he made these beautiful visual art pieces that are extremely colorful, and a lot of them tie back to the Bible, to scripture. And he is one that's called The Bridge. And he is a California native, and he said he got his um, inspiration for this painting from the Golden Gate Bridge, but also the Brooklyn Bridge and the Manhattan Bridge, and a bridge in London when he lived there for a while. And so in the image, you see cars going both directions on this bridge and people walking and riding their bikes in the pedestrian lanes on the side. Underneath, you see sailboats going underneath the bridge all while people are crossing. And then in the distance, you see a city that is hustling and bustling. And underneath this image, this vibrant image of a bridge that is so obviously being used and doing good, he quotes Pope Francis, who said, when bridges unite us, we can hear and speak with others. Where there are bridges, hatred goes away. We can be bridges, uniting distant people, making possible encounters between different cultures and religions, and creating ways to discover our common humanity. We can grow in our social holiness by caring for each other's needs and asking ourselves, who are we neglecting in our community? Who needs care? 
Who are we ignoring? And then ask how we can start to build a bridge to those people. Because while this church is amazing and we have this great list of things that we're currently doing to be that bridge, we all have blind spots and there are so many people in need in our community. So that's our challenge today, to think about how we can grow in our social holiness by caring about those around us. May we, like the seven deacons in our story, accept the call to bridge the church and the world by doing good to those around us. In the name of God, our creator, redeemer, and sustainer. Amen.